Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Not sure if you heard, but Jesus said, it is finished. He paid the price for our salvation. I trust that you know him today in a personal relationship, that you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, the only way to God the Father is through Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no man, no religion, no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. We're in Acts chapter 2 today, as I get recomposed, or not decomposed. <laughs> appreciate you being here today, I appreciate the music. I'm reminded often there's one more thing to trip over up here. I'm reminded often, and I trust that you, especially if you're a member here at Central Baptist Church, you understand how God has blessed this place in so many ways. I don't encourage you to visit other places, but if you do, you'll find out quickly that it's not like this everywhere, and it's not something that man has drummed up. It's something that God has blessed us with, abilities, talents, resources, and may we, I assure you, the pastor, the pastoral staff are encouraged to never take for granted what God has done here Amen. and is doing. Amen. He's still able. Amen. I trust that you know that. You believe it. You pray that way. You live that way that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you and I could ever Amen. ask or imagine, dream up. We're going to continue our study today on the church as we look at perspective. Acts chapter 2, did you stand as we read God's word and honor it? I'm going to read verses 41 through 47, a very familiar passage of Scripture in light of a biblical perspective of the church. This is under the context of Pentecost. Peter has preached. People are being added to the church. It's a little different than anything they had experienced. And verse 41 starts and says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wouldn't that be fun to be around? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. They were Baptist, 
And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. That's an added benefit to a local assembly. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Father, thank you for your word. Open our hearts and minds to your Holy Spirit as you teach us, remind us about your church, what we're about, what we should be about, what we shouldn't be about. And may we be not just hearers, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I read a story recently about a lady who came into the church, an older lady came into a church, and the chairman of the greeter committee (laughs) met her and said, "Um, good morning, Where, where would you like to sit? And she said, front row, just like all visitors. <laughs> and he said, are you sure you want to do that? Our pastor's pretty boring. And she said, do you know who I am? And he said, no, ma'am. She said, I'm the pastor's mother. <laughs> Taken back, he said, well, do you know who I am? And she said, no, I don't. He said, good. We have greeters, we have visitors. I don't know of any that want to sit on the front row. We have some that think I'm boring. They show me every Sunday. They're not quite there yet, but give them a few minutes. There's a lot that goes on in a church. So I'll tie in with that little illustration. The larger the church, the larger the ministries, the larger the need. The more people, I would like to think that we evaluate everything we do regularly to make sure what we're doing is biblical, uh, that is not antithetical to the cause of Christ. And with that said, it's pretty obvious that there's a place to serve. There's always something to do. It's a lot of people doing a lot of things, and may we as a church never let anything outside of the mission of the church direct what we do. That's probably the sermon for next week as we look at the mission of the church, really why, not next week, but the next time I preach, why we're here, and may we make sure that's always the focus. We've talked about the foundation of the church, we've talked about the future of the church, and now I want us to talk about the fundamentals of the church. The biblical perspective, a biblical perspective of the church. Not what the world thinks, not what the world thinks we should be, but what God says in his word should be evidenced in a local assembly. 
We've made it very clear that the church is not the building, the church is the people, the believers who truly make up the church of God. Born again, confident in their faith, practicing their faith, believers, what I like to call members in good standing, invested believers, invested members, those who, once again, they know they've been born again, they, they're confident in their salvation, they're called to service, and they're involved. They're not a weight dragging us down. By us, I don't mean me personally, don't take that. They're not dragging the church down. They're not running the church down. I'm, I'm gonna meddle here, it's not my notes, but I feel like it's important to say, anybody who is truly born again, who is truly a part of God's church, has no place running the church down. It's God's church. So I don't like the preacher, I don't like the deacons, I don't like it. Well, there's an easy solution for that. Find another church and mess them up. But anybody truly born again who's part of God's local assembly and God's universal church loves the church, supports the church, cheers on the church, brags on the church, lifts up the church, not because the preacher or the ministries, but because it's God's church. It's the bride of Christ. So I don't like church. And, um, well, you're probably not born again. Because anybody who truly understands their salvation, truly understands the local church, and that it's a function and a part of God's plan, and he refers to the church as the bride of Christ. And you don't tell a man you don't like his wife. Unless the man doesn't like his wife, and then you probably have bigger problems. Everybody has opinions. Y'all found that out. I think that's in Proverbs somewhere. But may we never, as a born-again Christian, loving God and loving his church, be found demeaning, denigrating his church. I'll stop there because that was just, there's nowhere. Tim's like, where is this at in his notes? It's not there. We understand Biblically, what the church is, a called out group of believers, called out assembly who are working together. And this text tells us several fundamentals of the church. I must repeat, because I've said it three weeks in a row now, the local church is still relevant for today. And it will be relevant until Jesus returns. And then who cares what happens? We won't be here. Let him figure all that out. He's, uh, by the way, I think he's got it figured out. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So don't worry about that either while you're here. That'll help some of you compartmentalize some stress, stresses in your life. Like Let God take care of it after you're gone. He's, he's capable. Church is used 114 times in the New Testament, 90 of which refer to the local assembly that we're talking about. According to the Baptist faith and message, this is a Southern Baptist church. We adhere to the Baptist faith and message. I want to read the definition of a local church. A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I could break this down and answer a lot of questions, but I'm not. There's a new members class starting next month. If you're a new member, join. If you're not a new member, but you've never been, join. If you just want to see what's going on, come in there. If you're thinking about joining, or thinking about anything related, you can come. I'll be in there and I'll answer a lot of things. But this is 
The Baptist Faith and Message. A New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation, that word's important, of baptized believers, autonomous was the word, associated by covenant in faith and the fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges. By the way, one of those ordinances is not foot washing, just in case you thought you were at the wrong place. And privileges invested in them by his word and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic processes. In such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its scriptural offices are pastors and deacons. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. That's the Baptist faith and message. That's what Southern Baptist churches adhere to as the definition of a local church. Of course, there's a litany of sub-thoughts that follow after that. What I want us to understand is that as a church, as a Bible-believing church, it is important for us, if we consider ourselves Bible-believing, to practice church the way the Bible says we should. The principles, the standards, the word of the day, the fundamentals of the church are outlined in Scripture. Now, in our text, Acts chapter 2, I believe we see five, only five, fundamentals of the church that are worth noting. Now, there's others. For those of you who are taking copious notes, thinking of how I could change this around, or what I should say, I understand there's a lot more. But in this text, there are five fundamentals that I believe it would behoove every local church to make sure that we adhere to. Uh, today, there's a, in the last decade or so, there's been kind of a movement, if you will, of, uh, and the phrase is healthy churches. People write books about healthy churches or unhealthy churches. I remember, was it Tom Rainer who wrote the book, Autopsy of a Dead Church? That's a good one. Was it Rainer who wrote that? Yeah. Um, it's, it, I like Rainer. Number one, he was a pastor, so I'll listen to what he has to say. I don't listen to people write about church when they've never been a pastor. I'm not going to buy it on the, at, at Ollie's for a dollar because <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. But Tom Rainer has been. He's been a statistician. He studies. He reached out. He was a pastor for 30-plus years, uh, so I'll listen to him. And uh, I'm going to tell you if, you, if you're a church leader or pastor or deacon or just like the church and uh, you're interested in the church, you read Autopsy of a Dead Church, and it'll make you say, Let's make sure we're not dead. And um, so and he, write, he writes about that. And this, this idea is about what's a healthy church and what's not a healthy church or what's an unhealthy church. And I, I, want us, I want to draw this to our attention at the very beginning. At the end of verse 47 in Acts chapter 2, I think it answers what a healthy church looks like. Now, it's the, it's the conclusion it's the summary statement of what a healthy church looks like. There's a lot of fundamentals. There's a lot of practices that take place. But at the end of verse number 47, he says, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. At the end of the day, a healthy church is producing new converts and discipling those converts as well as us old converts. That's a healthy church. That is our desire. That should be our desire. 
is to see people come to faith and have their lives radically changed by the power of the gospel. And anything we do that's contradictory to that should be eliminated or reevaluated or changed to make sure that that's our focus, is to bring people to Christ, to help people grow in Christ, to disciple them. And in this text, we see, I'm going to pull five fundamentals out. And notice that at the end, when these fundamentals are put into place, that there's a healthy church. First of all, the first fundamental probably is obvious. There should be preaching. That's a good time. It's, just, it's amen day, right? <laughs> I'm not one that has to be driven by amens but it helps get the point across quicker and it kept, keeps me from rehashing something that I think you should have responded to more positively. That makes sense. I did read the story of a, a, a kid that was interrupting church and the mom said, you know, she, I'm going to say the girl kept interrupting and being, and the mom said, if you don't behave, you're going to distract the preacher and he's going to forget where he's at and has to start all over. <laughs> and it nipped the problem. Some of y'all try that. If I get distracted and say, well, let's start off and pray again, y'all notice I'm looking in that direction that the one that's not even paying me any attention. First fundamental we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, is the preaching that should be taking place in a church. That sounds so obvious, and there's so many meddling ditches I could walk in right now, but I'm not going to. But we ought to be preaching the Word of God. In the church. Verse 41, they gladly received his word. When they had gladly received his word, keep in mind, Peter had just preached a pretty powerful message on Pentecost. People are responding. They received his word and were baptized. We'll talk about that later. But verse 42 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread. This is important for us to understand that this word continued steadfastly really means that they were uh, devoted to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God after they had gladly received the word of God. They continuously devoted themselves to preaching, to the word of God. The subject of Peter's message there in Acts chapter 2, if we were to go back and look at it, was all about Jesus. It was a powerful message that a a guy who had made a few mistakes preached, right? You ever sat and thought about the fact that Peter was the one who preached Pentecost? I don't know that guy. I promise I don't know that guy. Third time, spit on the ground and cuss. I don't know that guy. That's the guy that preached Pentecost. He was from South Jerusalem, redneck. Had a spitting and cussing problem. It's a little exaggeration. But that's the guy that God used to preach Pentecost, and he preached all about the person that he had formerly denied. But he did get right before that. That was, that was pretty important. I don't know if he had had much power in his message if they all knew that he was denying Jesus but preaching him. He preached in this message in the previous verses in 21, verse 21, 22, he preached 
Jesus as the subject. He preached Jesus is sinless, approved of God. He was a sacrificial death. He was a resurrection in the life. He preached the gospel. And it goes without saying, but it needs to be said. And here's the only way I can really flesh it out. What else should we be preaching in God's church? In the place that is considered among the people who are considered the bride of Christ. I've got opinions. I've got stories. I try to hopefully do a a healthy job of mingling them in the right place. I know we got some people in in every church that's like, I don't want to hear anything but preaching and reading scripture and don't go outside the lines. I know that. I've heard it. I've seen it in a letter. <laughs> One, the person actually signed it. They would tell me. It was, it was funny. You have to laugh about it. They were bold and they would sign their card. And say, you need to quit doing this and quit doing this, quit doing this. Okay. Appreciate the encouragement. But what else do we have to share other than the gospel, other than Jesus, other than scripture, preaching the word of God? And they continued steadfastly. Uh, It's really a picture here of seeing in Acts chapter 2, people get saved with the gospel. They have their lives radically changed with the gospel and then show up for church. Wouldn't you expect the same message to be preached? It's, It's I don't, I don't try not to be critical, but um, in, the, in the large and the, the church growth movement and, and all the bells and whistles of the last 25 to 30 years, uh, there, was, there was some good, but there was a lot of bad. And I remember old-fashioned preachers saying, uh, if you gotta, if you got to have a show to get them in, you'll have to have a show to keep them in. And that's really what happened, and, and it was devastating to local churches who are supposed to be propagating the gospel and discipling people. Because if you're not careful, and I'm, I'm just being honest for a lot of pastors out there, if you have to have a, a circus to get them in, it, um, it takes a lot of time and energy to have a circus every week to keep them there. And, but, but, and I'll stop there, I think you get the point, but if you preach the gospel, if we live out the gospel and uh, it's right there in scripture and you don't have to order it from Lifeway and, and you preach the gospel and you live out the gospel and you share the gospel and people uh, join the church, the church and join your church and, and become a part of that church. If you got them there with the gospel, it's a lot, I don't like the word to use easy in church at all, but it's a lot easier to keep them in the church preaching the gospel. It's, um, this is not a fishing expedition where you use a fake lure to get them in. So if you, no, I'll stop. I think everybody got the point. That was a good response, so I'll move on. See how that happened? (laughs) But notice the the point there is they continued steadfastly in it. They devoted themselves to the gospel. They devoted themselves to preaching. They devoted themselves to the word of God. Church, this is going to be very preachy and pastor-like. But it's not the job of the local church and the leadership to make you devoted to the word of God. It's an individual decision 
by me and every believer to be devoted to the Word of God. Now, it's our job, it's the church's job to, to deliver it, to make it available. By the way, I didn't throw Lifeway under the bus. We, we use Lifeway. Lifeway's good. But it's not like you, for $99.99, you get church in a box and they send it to you monthly. There, there are things like that, by the way, just, just so you know. I'm, I'm creating one for my retirement plan right now. It's, not, it's a good idea. But it's our job to produce and to make available opportunities to grow in grace and knowledge. We, we listen, I, uh, sometimes I wish we weren't, everything wasn't documented so we could talk a little more, but I adopted a philosophy a while back. And you say, I don't care about your philosophy. Well, you don't like me, I'm sorry. And the philosophy was, let's not do something just for the sake of doing something. I think that's what's happened in a lot of life and a lot of churches. We're holding on to golden calves because the Smith family bought it and shines it every week. And if you get rid of that, they're going to get mad and leave and they're going to take 22 people with them. And I know that's just part, that's why I don't read books by people who haven't been pastors. They never experienced the Smith family. I'm sorry, there's a Smith family in here or two. <laughs> the, um, you got it. The zebra family, I don't know. I only got one Z in here, but it's not zebra, so we'll stop. You get the point. But let's not do something for the sake of doing it. Let's do something because it's intentional and strategic to help people in the church. What are you talking about? I'm glad you asked. Let's not do Sunday school just because it's what the Baptists have been doing for 200 years. Let's do Sunday school because we're providing us. See how, see how the weather just changed? It was like North Carolina weather in here. Y'all see that? 68. Oh, let's go to the beach. 27 tonight. Okay, that's, that's, that's what just happened. If you weren't paying attention, it was nice and sunny, and then it got cold, right? Welcome to Kannapolis. He said the word. He said Sunday school. We don't have Sunday school just because it's been a golden calf in the Southern Baptist or in the Baptist or the Methodist or whoever for 100 years. We do Sunday school to provide opportunities for people of all shapes and sizes young and old, to come together, fellowship, maybe break bread, open up the word of God, maybe a supplemental help like Lifeway, helping Lifeway out again, and study and grow together. That's the purpose of Sunday school. Awana. Why do we have Awana? Well, because we always have. You're wrong. I was here when we didn't have a wanna. I was here when people didn't want a wanna. I got stories about that, but that's not on the record. People fought a wanna. We don't need a wanna. Then we got a wanna. And as a youth pastor for over a decade here, I saw the benefits of a wanna. I've heard our current youth pastor say, you can tell the kids who have been in a wanna. That doesn't make them more spiritual, don't, don't be, but they're more knowledgeable of Scripture. And many of them have been saved through Awana. You say, in Awana? Well, how about, how about 
Just the fact, well, they maybe they got saved at home with their parents, which is a great picture. I love it. I'd, I'd much rather, just for you, you're, I'd much rather, and I do love hearing the stories where little Billy got saved at home talking to his mom and dad. This, this is not a pastor's like, well, I, I wish we could have got him to the altar so everybody could have seen it. That's, that's not me. I love to know that there's families at home talking their children through the gospel and seeing their son and daughter accept Christ. But I'm also going to take a little credit for the Awana when they come every Wednesday and they hear the word of God, preach to them, talk to them, they memorize it, hide God's word in their heart. You can't tell me that's not a help. And that's why we do it. Listen, as a, as a pastor in this church, there's no financial perks. There's no reason why you would do it just to say you're doing it. Awana doesn't send you commission checks. We do it because we want to stay devoted, there's the word, to the word of God. We want to continue steadfastly in the preaching and teaching of the word of God. We're not going to do anything for the sake of doing anything. If it's not propagating the gospel and helping people grow. Don't send me something later. Say amen or old me right now. What about this? No, I don't, I don't think. Here's the point. We have these conversations. We've had these conversations as a pastoral staff. And we evaluate what we're doing. And we try to make sure we're not doing anything that's once again derogatory, once again pulling us away. We want to make the main thing the main thing. We're going to build a lot of things around it, but the main thing is going to be the main thing. That's our idea. That's the plan. Why? To stay continually steadfast to preaching and teaching the Word of God. Number two, baptism. I'm going to not spend a lot of time here because we're in the Baptist church, and I think we all got this one figured out. But verse 41 says, they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day. And the same day they were added. It might have been baptized the same day. Some of you probably grew up in some places and, uh, or been to some places where they baptized the same day. Um, it's hard to keep a baptistry warm and running and not full of amoebic dysentery uh, all the time. I've heard you don't want that. And, um, but if you lived out in the country where there was a creek then it was easily accessible all the time. I, I remember uh, we, when I was a part of the cathedrals, I mean the friendship quartet back in the day, we, um, we sang at the Southern Methodist Church. I didn't know it was a thing, but they were Southern, so we must like them. And so we went to Southern Methodist Church, and it was, it was a cool church. It was like one of those cracker box churches with the tall steeple, white, had a big bell. Ding, ding, they rang the bell when it was time to start. Uh, I didn't know it was out in the middle of nowhere. And when we were driving in the bus, I mean the van, I mean the car with stuff in the back, <laughs> when we were driving in, there were people soaking wet walking from the creek to church. They had been baptized. And I was like, well, this is interesting. And because I'd never been out there and it was in the middle of the western part of North Carolina, eastern part, southeastern Virginia, just wherever that works. Uh, we were in the middle of nowhere. And my first thought when we walked into church was, I hope there's no snakes. And <laughs> turned out to be a great, it was fun, and um, they enjoyed what we did, and they weren't your typical Methodist. They baptized quick. 
There used to be a day where that happened here, and you know, things change, not saying that that's negative, but life changes and the way we do things change. Here's what I want to say. It, I think it's really important that we baptize as soon as we can. Uh, the word here, uh, baptizo, uh, most of us understand or have been through church and have heard this phrase. Uh, it's, it's meaningful to be baptized, biblically, by immersion. Um, a lot of opinions, I'm trying to stay, stay away from them. But scripture is very clear that you're to be baptized after salvation. In Acts chapter 8, you don't have to turn there, read there, but Acts chapter 8, Philip is going, God has called him to, to head this direction. He doesn't know why, and he runs into this Ethiopian eunuch. Hopefully you know the passage. And God had ordained this day to happen, and the eunuch was reading an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. How cool is that? He's like, hey, do you understand what you're saying, or what you're reading? The guy's like, no, can you help me? Well, I'm glad you asked. And he starts to teach Jesus. And this guy gets saved. He makes Jesus Lord, and he says, what prevents me from being baptized? And um, you must believe, call on the name of the Lord and get saved, basically. And then the Bible says that they found much water, enough to not sprinkle or disperse or pour, enough water. And so they were baptized right after salvation. I think it's important. I know it's important. What is baptism? Uh, when I taught high school Bible, we taught the life of Christ, and the, I can't get the definition out, but it's a real simple definition. It, baptism is an outward expression of an inward cleansing. It's a testimony that you've been, it's a public testimony that you've made Jesus Lord of your life. And, and now you're identifying with Christ, buried in his likeness, raised to walk in new life. And by testifying that you've been born again, that I've made Jesus Lord of my life, publicly for the world to see, for your friends, for your family, hey, I, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I've said yes, and now I'm identifying with him. And now it's a picture of the gospel that you're dead in your trespasses and sin, you were buried just like Jesus was buried, but raised to walk in new life as, as God raised him from the dead. And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter six, verse four. It's not some phrase we made up from, from church history. And Paul in Romans chapter six, verse three and four, listen, know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism and death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The word for baptism there is, I hear people say, submersion. <laughs> I, I, people that have, and it's been fun to talk to people that haven't been to church here and to get saved. Now, do y'all submerge? Like, <laughs> we do that too, yeah. Um, there's immersion, dispersion, and aspersion. There, there really is. That's the technical terms. Dispersion's the pouring, aspersion's the sprinkling, and immersion is the all the way under. And there's probably somebody here today, you're not very familiar with the Baptist, say, like, why do y'all do that? Well, it's because it's biblical. So we try to be biblical. And, and then when you know the definition of the word, it makes more sense. The word baptizo is a Greek word that you use to, to dye cloth, to actually submerge or to put under. To dip is the word. Not to dip and to pour, but to dip the actual person, the, the piece that you're trying to, to dye. And so we go under. 
because that's the way we believe Scripture teaches, that we should go all the way under. It's also a picture of being washed. He didn't just wash a little bit of my head. He washed me all the way. And so what's the picture? Public testimony. A public demonstration. A couple weeks ago, I talked about the pandemic and its effects on the church. I don't want to rehash that, but baptisms in the Southern Baptist Convention have proven some of what we know to be true. Not just that COVID was detrimental or that COVID was a, how are people trying to say it today, a distraction or a a bump in the road. In 2021, Southern Baptist churches saw a 26% increase, increase in baptisms. 26% increase in baptisms. 154,000 people were baptized in 2021, 701 if you're counting. 26% increase from the previous year. Now some of that had to do with COVID in general, and now people are coming back. But you understand people that just come back to church don't just get baptized. Welcome back, post-COVID, we're gonna have baptism. Come up and get in. Now, some have done that. Some have done the spontaneous baptisms. I have an opinion, but it's not my note, so we'll just keep going. I think it's dangerous. What is spontaneous baptism? We'll just Google it, not right now, but later. So they baptized 26, we baptized 26% more, but interestingly, the average church attendance decreased by nearly 19% in the same year. Now you don't have to be an ecclesiologist to try to figure this out. I'm not gonna, if I say too much, I know people get upset about this. So let me think, I've got it written here, but I don't wanna say it that way. There has been a, I don't know a better word. There has been a pruning in the church in America. I'm not here to say, please don't put words in my mouth. I'm not here, I'm not saying that God sent COVID. I'm not saying that. I am gonna say that God wasn't surprised. He didn't read it in the paper and get surprised about it. But you cannot, you cannot, please, I'm on your side. We're on a team together. You cannot read see the evidences of what's happened in the American church post-COVID and say that there hasn't been a purging in the American church. And COVID was an impetus at minimum for that. Please, we've been through this road. Don't, don't, get, don't get all in a tizzy about what I just said. Please, we're in this together. We're buddies. I've been hammered, I've been shot, I've been stabbed in the back, post-COVID, pre-COVID, during COVID. I'm not trying to hurt somebody's feelings, I'm just stating some facts. And there's been things to keep people out of church before. There's been events in American history and worldwide history that has helped promote purging of the church. But you can't look at the numbers post-COVID and say that it hasn't had a direct impact on the local church. 
And I'm not just talking about church attendance. I'm talking about God's church, the people of Christ, professors who no longer profess. I will tell you this. I believe the end of this book is accurate, even the parts I don't understand. But there will be, you mark it, there will be a series of events, some that we can maybe think we know about, there will be events that take place in world history, and America's a part of the world, as the day approaches that will do the exact same thing that COVID did to the church. True believers will be found out. The sad part is, some of the events that will transpire between now and the day of the Lord will make COVID look like a pothole on 85. And it, people fell like flies, not dying, but from the church. You know I'm telling the truth. I try to hide when I go out in public, when I know I'm going to run into a lot of people. Ain't that right? Had some church members in a store the other day, and they said, that can't be Pastor Dean, because I have, I have a costume I wear. But he was. It was me. But... I do go out in public, and I went out in public during COVID. And you did too. And you saw a lot of people that couldn't get to church, but to get to where you met them. And it wasn't, some of you already, it wasn't always a doctor. I don't go anywhere but the doctor. I got to stop. We have to agree on some things. And there's a lot of little things that people have blamed for getting out of the church. And I'm really, honestly, I don't like people to leave my local church, our local church. But I'm far more concerned about them leaving the local church and having a question about whether they're part of the church at all. What's that got to do with baptism? Well, I gave you some statistics about baptism to prove that there's been an effect. Not only preaching, not only baptism, but third, communion. Communion's important. It's one of the two ordinances that was mentioned, and we just talked about baptism. Now there's communion. Verse 42, I'll speed through this. They're breaking bread. That's not, a, and that's not an after-church hot dog social. This reference to breaking bread is the Lord's table, communion. Although there's some indication through this that they may in other texts that there were hot dog socials and that it's not, not biblical to have a social. Why is this important? They continued steadfastly. They devoted themselves to what? Preaching. They devoted themselves to baptism. They devoted themselves to communion. It's important. As often as you do this, remember me. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul teaches, we read it when we take communion together. It's important for the church to take communion together. The true church, believers, to have communion together, often. Now, there's unfortunately nothing in 1 Corinthians that says the schedule for communion. But I believe we're doing a better job of taking it more often here at Central. It's important. We put it on our calendar to have it monthly. And just very few exceptions have we not had communion monthly. Why? Because they continued steadfastly. They devoted themselves to communion, breaking bread together. Now, there is some indication that a lot lot of times they would have communion and then have the social. Some of you would like, because that take care of your Sunday meal in the evening at least once a month. But you wouldn't like it, and then you'd complain about it, and then we'd stop, and then... No, just kidding. They devoted themselves to communion. Here, here's, the point, here's the point about communion. We remember what Jesus did. The true church, which is the fundamental of the true church, should remember what Jesus did. Here's another point. Only the true church can understand and appreciate what Jesus really did. So we don't let just anybody take communion. Now, there's some differing opinions about who does take communion. Here's where I think the common denominator, common denominator is. Only believers take communion. They're the only ones that can remember. They don't remember the death. They weren't there at Calvary, but they remember when the death at Calvary had an impact on their life. So as often as you do this, you drink this and you eat this. Remember, this is my body that was broken for you. This was my blood that was shed for you. As often as you do this, remember what happened. And so as a church, we remember, we devote ourselves to communion. Number four, they devoted themselves, continued steadfastly, not only in doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. Oh my goodness. This is the bulk of the sermon, but I'm going to make it Cliff Notes version. They continued steadfastly in prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. I have to say this. I preached this a couple years ago, and it really, maybe I'll say the word burden. It burdened my heart as the pastor. When Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. He was quoting Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 56, where Isaiah said, Uh, through God, that my house shall be called a house of prayer. Paul said, pray without ceasing. Jesus prayed. If nothing catches our attention about prayer, may we be kind of surprised or intrigued or motivated that Jesus prayed often. There's a couple things that I think about in the same context. One is, why would we think that Satan wouldn't attack us when he attacked Jesus? The other is, why would we not think prayer is important when Jesus prayed? And if the perfect son of God had a need to pray, certainly all of us have a need to pray. Have you ever thought about that? What did he pray for? Father, forgive No, I'm not going to say that would sound blasphemous. He wasn't praying forgiveness for sins. He never sinned. Listen, I, I'm, 
Y'all with me? I know what time it is. I'm doing pretty good. I feel like I've been preaching two hours. Do you feel like that? Somebody say amen. Okay, good. I want to make sure we get this point here. Make it practical. There are people that think it's awkward. Let me, let me just say it this way. There are people who think in the, in the Baptist church today, now I'm, I'm going I'm to speak plain to you. All right, we're all friends, right? We can handle this. Altered, altars are bare at churches all over in comparison to years ago. Take out the whole, well, altars don't matter, altars, blah, 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 whatever. I think some of that's a cop-out. But there's been a, a pervasive thought or observation in the church in America today because we're the most arrogant, pompous, selfish people on the planet. We've, we've been spoiled so bad. Right? There's this pervasive attitude that if someone comes to the altar, they must have sinned. What did they do? Which is wrong. It's carnal. Now, if the preacher got up and said, I mean, some of y'all been living like the devil this week. You need to come to the altar. 14 people come. I mean, you understand. <laughs> Maybe they, the reality is we could get up and say, all 500 of you been acting like the devil this week. And we'd be like, amen, right, bro? At some point, we did. Except for a few of you that are looking like, no, not me. I don't remember. <laughs> but the point is, that's, that's kind of this attitude. It's like, oh, what, what did she do? Y'all with me? Y'all got to play along. Oh, he came down. The husband and wife came down. Oh, my goodness. What did they do? Now, let's all understand that most of us would like to be certain that nobody in here knows some of the stuff that happened at your house this week. I mean, other than Barry and Andrea, who've never had a crossword, most of us, most of us wouldn't want the whole church to know everything that went on in your house this week. Some of you are looking up, but you're the preacher. But I got a wife and I got kids. And I got flesh. Right? Some of you are so pious right now, you're thinking, what did he do this week? That's what you're thinking. You can't get past yourself because you're like, what did he do? I bet he's a devil. So here's the deal. Here's the idea. Oh, what, oh, what did they do? And now at lunch, you're like, oh, what did they do? What do you think they did? You think that, do you think, I know, I never trusted him anyway. I never trusted her. And it's, that's, that's what goes on. What would you do I'm just, if Jesus came to the altar? Because you know he didn't mess up this week. What do people think when Jesus said, hey, I'm going on the other side. I'm going to pray for a few hours. Y'all come see me then. Nobody said, well, what did he do? See, we've messed up the idea of prayer in American churches to where if somebody's praying, they must have done some wrong. Prayer is not just when you do something wrong. Prayer is not just for asking forgiveness and repenting. Prayer is talking to God, 
communing with God. Pray without ceasing. Even when you're doing good and hadn't sinned for the last 30 minutes, pray. If we change that culture, if we change that attitude, the altars will be filled again. People will be publicly praying again without fear that somebody thinks they've messed up. We could all be living perfect, sinless lives for the last hour in here. Let's just assume that nobody sinned in the last hour, which is a big assumption. But would we not all agree as Christians we still need God? Would we not be able to get out our, our notes and say, hey, here's 10 things I'd like to see God do this week? They prayed without ceasing. They're in a fresh new church with a lot of new zealous on fire Christians. They prayed. What? And here's the question. Here's where we are in America. Oh, what did they have to pray for? How did they pray all the time? They have much to pray for. I'll give you an example of what they prayed for. They prayed for each other. They didn't just pray because, you know, Billy stumped his toe and he can't walk straight for the next week. They didn't just pray over that. By the way, if you hit your toe hard enough, I know you probably want somebody praying for you, so don't be offended by that. You don't know it. I bled. Anyway. You'll be on new names this week in the prayer sheet. What they pray? They, they, had a, they had a need for prayer like we don't have a need. You know why? Because they were in the fire. They got arrested a few times. Remember Peter? Peter went through a, Peter had some fun times, right? He gets arrested, they get put in prison. Paul gets put in prison. What do they do? They put us on the prayer sheet. That's kind of what they did. They said, if you talk about Jesus again, we're gonna do more. They went back to the church. This is all in there. It's in my text, it's in my notes. They go back to the church and say, hey, we're gonna have to stop preaching Jesus. No! They said, y'all need to pray harder because we're going to go back out there again. So when they're in the fire, people needed more prayer. We get in the fire, we'll be having some more reasons to pray. What's wrong with this prayer? God, help me through your power and Holy Spirit to be a disciplined Christian, to act like I got some sense this week, and tell somebody about Jesus. That sounds like a pretty good idea. Could we not just all agree that there's a lot more necessity to pray other than just for forgiveness of sin? You got any needs? You got any needs that you, you've been trying really hard to fix, but you can't? You got any needs that you know you can't fix even if you thought you could? You got any people that need spiritual help that you can't fix? Know anybody that's addicted to anything that unless God intervenes, they're going to die that way? We got plenty to pray for other than just, God, I've been a devil this week. And I'm, I'm going to give you a little heads up. Pray all that stuff at home before you get here. Take care of all that before you get here. If, if we'll go from now on just assuming that everybody's prayed up and cleaned and repented before God, we'll assume that everybody that comes here has a spiritual need. And that they hadn't robbed a bank this week. Every revival 
that's ever been documented started with a movement of prayer. We know that. Revival's on the forefront of everybody's mind right now. Not gonna go down that road. I've got my opinions. First and second great awakening. We have story after story, documentation. There was a Heridian revival in the Scottish islands and there's always preaching, there's always singing, but usually there's a remnant of praying. The Asbury, that's what they're saying happened. I've got opinions, you've got opinions. Will you join me in at least this thought? If and when revival does happen in America, may we not be the ones trying to snuff it out, find a reason why it's not. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not showing you which side of the aisle I'm on on this. I'm just saying I'm not God. And I'm not gonna put out somebody's fire just because it's not the way I want it. I think we, we weigh and we spiritually survey situations with the Holy Spirit's help. Y'all with me? Everybody, everybody good right now? But let's, let's not go to our Baptist closet and get out our water gun and start shooting every fire out that we think somebody thinks is burning. None of us, none of us, none of us, that's a good word, none of us, none of us are in the position that I've seen some people put themselves in in the last week or two to be judge, jury, and executioner. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray that God will manifest himself in our presence. The last thing was partnership. They preached, they baptized, they had communion, they prayed, and they partnered together. They continued steadfastly. They devoted themselves to what? Fellowship. That's where the word is. What's fellowship? Y'all know this definition, right? Two fellows in a ship. <laughs> They're partnering. The word fellowship there is basically our word partnership, to be in a state of being a partner, associated with one another, especially when there's an action to take place. Church, there's no better definition for partnership than being a part of a church where there's action that needs to take place. And we're in this together. We're partnering together. We're fellowshipping together. I thought about this. I've got notes and I won't go through all this, but it's amazing what we can do when we partner together. It's, even in conventions, like the Southern Baptist Convention, it's amazing what you can do when you partner together. Independent missionaries, we support independent missionaries, independent mission organizations. There, no missionaries going out, for the most part, because one person gave them $75,000 a year. It's because this one gave five, and this one gave 10, and this church gave 3%, and this church gave 5%. And we have missionaries at Southern Baptist all over the world all over the world who don't have the financial burden because partnerships have made it possible for them to go places you and I will never go, don't want to go, to preach the gospel to people who need to hear the gospel. That's why we partner together. We just, we just approved a few, um, well, 
six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, an over $1 million church budget. Now, there's a couple of you here that could fund that. <laughs> but you ain't looking at one that could. But I can do my portion. And some of you can do your portion. Some of you should be doing your portion. That's next month. Some of us should be doing a little more than the portion we're just throwing God a few dollars. I'll stop. See how the weather changed again. <laughs> the point is we do it together. And God understood that. God didn't say, have the Smith family fund all the money. Poor Smith. One Smith family left while I was preaching, honestly. I think they got mad. I'm not making that up. I hope they didn't get mad. I think they had prior engagement, brunch. Anyway. <laughs> we, we partner together to make things happen. They fellowship. They partnered together. They put their stuff together to give to those who needed. There's, a, there's, a, there's really a sermon in the, fourth, the fifth point, partnership. I said this before because I preached this text a long time ago and did a little different twist. And I, I won't do this because it'll get political. But, but some people, some social progressives, by the way, don't you get really sick on your stomach when some of those social progressives use scripture. They do that, by the way. That's, they know the ones that matter to them. But people will use this text and talk about communism. And I know that's a far-fetched, but there's a difference in communism and communism. And this is talking about communism and how we meet needs of other people by coming together, joining in partnership. And we do that. Church, we do that. You do that. I mean, we budget some help, but we also help sometimes, and you don't know that it's help, but, but it's because we didn't come and say, hey, sometimes we say people need help or give an offer. I mean, one of the last times I did that, I said, I know we got three families in here that need some help, and I think we took $7,000 up. Like you said, you, some, some, I felt it. Somebody said, did you give them all that money? Somebody said that. I felt it. <laughs> we met needs. We met needs. We found out needs. We did the, the due diligence. Our financial secretary, we didn't just say, hey, here's a check, have fun. We met needs because we partnered together to meet needs. And then, Brenda could attest to this, we didn't use all that money, so we gave staff bonuses. <laughs> no. We, we kept it there for the next person that has a need. Did we not? That's what we do. And you met the needs of people because we came together not because of communism, what's yours is mine and mine is mine and I want everything because it all belongs to me. No, it was communism. It's all ours. We're going to put it together and help somebody else. And that's what we do. This promotes unity. You see that in the text. They were all together. They had all things in common. They were in one accord, verse 46. Singleness of heart. We got one goal, one objective. One common denominator, and it's the gospel. We're in this together. I hope I don't embarrass anybody in this, but I want to make a point that, oddly enough, I was studying and preparing for this this week, and Paul talks about the church being a, a body and people coming together and everybody's got a part. 
By the way, if you're called to salvation, you're called to service, God gave you gifts, he gave you talents to be a part of the family of God and to do something. That's why he saved you. Billy Graham nailed it a long time ago, not just to go to heaven. If that was the case, you'd get saved and maybe you'd get baptized and you'd just fly off and you'd be gone. No, we're here for a reason, to serve him. And he's given people gifts and abilities. This week, this person had no idea. They text me a link to our newest podcast here, Time to Thrive. And the Leah Guyton and Anna Kimmons in our makeshift studio are having this podcast and interviewing people. They interviewed Molly Kimmons. I don't know about you, but what I've already said is encouraging to me. We've got three, it's hard for me to believe, young adult girls. They're all still 12 and 13 to me, which makes me, you understand how that works. But they're young adult ladies. Every one of them, to a lady, is actively serving in our church. Church, that's, that's a plus. That's above average. They're not leaving. And if they do, when I counsel with them, all my life the men have always came to the woman's church. And that's how that still works. And you're not going with him somewhere. He's coming here. I met with somebody two weeks ago, and I told them that. You're thinking, why? And I didn't. I said, you know how this works, right? That cat's coming here. You're not going anywhere. I want to meet him. I want to make sure he's saved, and he doesn't go to his church anymore. He comes to your church. <laughs> it's kind of like asking the prettiest girl out in school. All she can say is no. Right? What's she going to say? You got to go for it. You just throw it out there. This is the rule. We put it in our bylaws. So these girls are the same way. They just found that out. But they're talking about service. And I guess Molly had written a letter in the ladies' magazine about it, and I almost wish we could play some of what's there. We could, but it would take longer, and it's time to go. But what an encouragement to hear young adult ladies in our church, specifically Molly, who was being interviewed Talk about service, talk about being involved, talk about partnership, talk about fellowship. And if you haven't listened to it, listen to it. If you didn't know it exists, now you do, listen to it. It's worthwhile. And to hear someone who is actively involved and, and really a lot of the, the gray area around getting involved, and she made this statement. They asked her a couple things, and she made this statement. I didn't ask them for permission to this, but I think the church has copyright rules to all this since it's our stuff. Molly said, at some point, she said, service doesn't have to be a chore. And what a, what a, that's a sermon title. Service doesn't have to be a chore. It's not a chore. It's something that comes naturally for, a, for an invested member of God's church who's a, an invested, active member in the local church and here's the deal. It's not something we just drum up. It's biblical. It's a biblical principle to be a partner, to be in this together, to be associated with a group, to be leading something, to be actively serving. It's a fundamental of the church. That's what a member in good standing is. 
Someone who's saved and knows it and serving in a capacity that God's called them to. And I got to shut up with this. Could you imagine what we could do? Could you imagine what every local church, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church could do if every member was saved and called to service and involved? We could make a difference. Make an impact. Just a few fundamentals. What happens in verse 47, when all this is going on, they're praising God, having favor with each other, not having church meetings where they got to kick somebody out. That wouldn't be fun, would it? They're having favor with each other, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Is that not what we want? Is that not what every church should want? God's given us the outline. He's given us some fundamentals. I'm not fussing at our church. I think we're doing a pretty good job. May we never forget what God expects. And may we be a church that when we practice what he's taught us, we see new life. We see people added, not just to this church, but added to his church daily, such as should be saved. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for your word God, it's almost hard to preach this knowing that, not that we have a perfect church, but we have a good church with good people. I pray that something that was said today would strike the heart of a believer. Maybe that's, maybe there's something that you reminded them of that they need to be more, as your word said, steadfast, more devoted to. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's Bible study. Maybe it's service. God, certainly we all have room for improvement. And if I learned anything, may, may this church be a church of prayer. May we as members, God, certainly parents, grandparents, who care greatly about our children, greatly about our grandchildren, greatly about the direction of our country, greatly about our family's spiritual needs. May we be men and women of prayer, calling on you, asking you to do what only you can do. May this be a place where people feel freedom and liberty and confidence to pray. May this be a place that's steadfastly devoted to preaching and teaching your word. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.